How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode 97 of the Bench Time Podcast with Todd and Brett Wiley of HO Scale Customs. So we have a really special guest today, and we've pretty we've been excited to talk with him for quite a while, and uh, I know it's been a little bit of a wait for us, so I'm going to hand it over to my dad, and I'm going to have my dad uh, introduce our guest today. Hey, uh, hello, everybody. We have uh, today as our guest, we have uh, George Selyus from Fine Scale Miniatures, and um, he's also the builder of the Franklin South Manchester. Hello, George. How are you today? Hi, Todd. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm wonderful today. This is uh, except for the rain. We got a lot of rain. A lot of rain. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get some tomorrow. So all weekend. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we, um, we it, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We came up in June to visit you at the at the uh, at your at, at your shop and to see the Franklin South Manchester with a group of many of our listeners were with us as well. And uh, it was wonderful. Dave Cruiswick, I think he was with you just a couple weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. is, it was there as well. Um, so um, what we're going to do today is we're just going to talk to you and ask you some questions about modeling and some of uh, you know your history in model railroading. Um, and that's kind of our focus today is to hear some of the things you can pass on to us for tips and modeling that we do. Um, how did you get started uh, in model railroading, where did that begin for George Selyus? Uh, well, Todd, uh, if I remember correctly, it was about I, don't know, I was about seven or eight years old, and uh, those ads in, on TV for uh, American Flyer and Lionel Trains started appearing, and uh, I just started to like toy trains, and uh, and then the uh, I think it was the Boys Model Railroad Club came on. And uh, I really got serious about trains, even as a little kid. Hmm. My mother bought me my first uh, Lionel train set. It was a, uh, I remember it was a steam locomotive with, uh, I think, three or four freight cars. It was very inexpensive. But uh, I never liked the three-rail track. So uh, the Lionel, so I saw the American Flyer with the two-rail, and I changed to that. And uh, I stayed with that for several years, you know, and uh, that's how I, I started with the, uh, the train Interest, interest in trains. Now, now, when when did it progress from from running trains to the fine the finer scale or doing detail work and that type of thing or that kind of you know structure building and detail work that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, uh, let me say also that I did build a, a, my first train set, an American Flyer four by eight. It wasn't very good, but uh, I thought it was great, <laughs> and uh, it was. Uh, March 1955, I walked into the uh, some uh, pharmacy that on the newsstand. There was the March 1955 issue of Railroad Model Craftsman, and uh, I never thought such a book existed, or even scale model model railroading existed, except for the toy trains. And I saw the article uh, on an old flower engraver by Lloyd uh, Geibner, and. I just stared at that. I, I I thought it was a picture of a real building. It was so realistic, and uh, that's when I really fell in love uh, with uh, that building. Was the, that was he, the spark he, to he, the fire. Yeah, he's the one that really got me going, and I think his stuff was just great. And the guy was amazing. He was doing a, an article almost every month in RMC and in Model Railroad. I don't know how he did it because I know how hard it was to plan my fine-scale miniature kits. It took a long time, and uh, he was just doing something every month. And it was really 
very good. I mean, even by those standards back then, and that's when I started getting really interested in building. That's a, that, you know, what's interesting about your story is that when I used to do model railroading when I was a kid, uh, well, uh, before Brett was born, before I got married, Brett's 30 now. And, um, and then when he was born, I stopped doing it and for a lot, a long while. But when I got started into it, I was probably a late teen, uh, early twenties. And one of my first things was seeing your mile railroad, you and model railroader magazine with the F you know, F and S M. And, uh-huh. um, that was my inspiration. But then as we've talked, as you notice, this is episode Brett, what? 97, 97, 97. We've had many guests on, many of which you know, and you were the same inspiration for as I as to them as you were for me. Um, so, and it's fun to hear that you have gotten that same inspiration from a model railroader magazine, the same as the same as we have done, and uh, mm-hmm. from somebody else by viewing somebody else's, and um, and we've heard that same story from so many uh, that you were their inspiration, which is pretty cool. Now, is there other influencers in model railroading since then? Uh, yeah, I uh, I also found a book uh, at the newsstand on a, um, I think it was uh, model railroading with Frank Ellison and his Delta lines, and I really love that guy's stuff. He was big on operation, and uh, I know all about operation, even though I don't do too much of it on my layout, but I hope I can someday. And then uh, John Allen stuff came out. Mm-hmm. Boy, I really went bananas with the hobby then i really fell in love completely <laughs> with it i wanted to build a layout and in fact i did have a layout nobody knows about this it was a in my bedroom it was a small two by four it was uh as a logging railroad it was um, built uh I, uh I think it was lyle spears influenced me a lot he did a lot of logging stuff in model river in the 50s and 60s and i actually had code 40 rail it was Chemtrons uh, put it out, and nothing ran on it. I just loved the build, and I just just would look at it. And it was uh, that was my very first, well, my second layout. My first one was toy trains. Right. And, uh, and you know, ever since that, I always wanted to build a final layout, but I never could because fine scale miniatures started, and uh, I couldn't do much then. <laughs> now, when when you got it, what decided? Where did you decide, and what made you decide that? Hey, I'm gonna. I'm going to start up making my own kits and start up fine scale miniatures. How did that all take a birth? Well, this is the story there, uh, Todd. Uh, I was working in South Boston. Uh, I was a production manager at uh, Ace Carbon Paper Company. And, uh, and in the meantime, I was scratch building uh, a lot of stuff. And I brought in the office one morning, I think it was 1965, uh, a built-up water tank and tool shed and an HO, and I showed it to them, and they and everybody gathered around it, and everybody was, I don't know if they were just saying it as a joke, but they were saying, can you build me one, can you build me one, and I was just saying, oh yeah, sure. So that same day, I went home at night and went down to my basement, and uh, that's when the idea for fine-scale miniatures came to me, and, uh, and that's how it started, just like that. Same day, I that uh, you know I started fine scale miniatures. Wow, wow! I what? Planning. You know, my first kit was going to be a, a little, uh, some kind of crane that would uh, lift coal buckets, but I, I dropped that and I went to John Allen's uh, 
water tank, and that was my very first kit. And I, I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> what was your yeah. first kit? Yeah, that so, was in May 1967, my first uh, issue in Model Railroad. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and that's how it started. And uh, for three years, I wasn't making any money. And a lot of people don't know that I almost quit fine scale miniatures because, uh, I, like I said, I wasn't making any money. And uh, everything was going back into business every penny yeah. I made. And, uh, but in 1970, I came out with Jacobs Fuel Company. Uh, and that was a 24.95 price tag had, had on it, and uh, I was told that's that's outrageous back then. Yeah, it makes my me want to cry. <laughs> yeah, my first kit was 4.95, and I was even told that was too high price then. Oh my gosh! But with oh the, uh, the yeah, Jacobs Fuel Company and uh, Walther's uh, company in Milwaukee told me you'll never sell them at that price, and, oh. I, and I actually sold 1,200 of them within a, a few months. Oh wow! Yeah, and that's, that's, when, that's when I also went to, uh, what do you call it, make a one kit at a time, and that's it, no more. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's when I uh, really got going on it with the business. And then from there, I was making, I don't know, I was making a lot of kits. Uh, in fact, I, my sawmill, which was my biggest run, my second sawmill, I made 3,200 kits, oh. which is kind of unheard of these yeah. days. And, Definitely uh, unheard of. These days, for sure, it's unheard of. With over 200 castings in each one, so that was a, that was a lot oh. of work. Jeez. So, well, yeah. They- the um, the castings you you obviously made them yourself. Um, did did you when you first started doing kits? Did you always make the castings yourself, or did you get them from somebody else, or how did that come about? Well, when I started, my castings were very poor. In fact, uh, one magazine I think it was Railroad Modeler, they're no longer in print now, and they said they were gross, and uh, I got a little upset. And I, I purchased a stereo microscope and all kinds of uh, tools and everything. I said I'm going to make them some. Of, I'm going to make some of the best castings. And and uh, from there on, that's what I did. I tried to make the very best castings. I learned the technique and uh, learned how to run the machinery and everything. And and they are they're absolutely amazing. I have a kit of yours right now on literally a foot from my face that I'm working on uh, with the Baxter's building supply. Um, huh. And uh, I love it. Oh, my gosh, I'm having so much fun with it. And, yeah, your kits are just always that way. Um, uh, I know that Jimmy Deegan, uh from uh, Railroad Model, uh, from Railroad Kits, um, also sells your castings. He has uh, your molds, and I guess he's making new castings and advertising. Yes, this. yeah. Uh, we will Jimmy be got with all him my, next week. all my molds and everything that went with the business, and uh, I wish him the best of luck, and I hope he turns out beautiful <laughs> castings, too. Yeah, he's he's doing a great job with it. We're going to see him next week uh, down at Timonium at the show, and be with him as well. Um, so it'll be it'll be good to see him. But it, it, every time I, you know, the last couple of times I've seen him, he's had more and more of your castings available, which is which is awesome. Anyhow, um, now on the kits, when you when you started designing them, um, when you first started doing it, did you did you have just board by board type kits or? Were they? Did you have a? Did you go right into laser cutting at all? Uh, oh, the laser cutting came along a, a lot later. I don't know exactly when. I think it was in the late late eighties or uh, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think nineteen eighty eight was the first laser kit we did. Okay. I think I'm not sure, but 
but it was uh, it was regular, uh, like all the windows. Uh, I used to buy sheet wood, and all the windows and openings, door openings, would be saw cut. Oh wow! And the, pe- the, the model <laughs> I had to you know join the pieces together, the wall sections together. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was yeah, amazing. Cutting came along, and that was. I was just I was gonna say I thought it was amazing when we were up there and we we saw that pile of lumber that you had and you sh- you told us that all of that lumber was used for uh, cutting the scale lumber for the kits and you did it all by hand and I I am I can't imagine you know the days when yeah. you're making three thousand kits before there were lasers and <laughs> before there was lasers and automation you're doing it all you know one by one yeah yeah no it's uh, all that wood's gone by the way it was picked up last week oh wow <laughs> yeah it was given away I'm thankful it's been there since the seventies early seventies yeah and there was two hundred and fifty pieces oh my and, word. Uh, they just took it free, and, and I'm happy for that. There you go. Right. Now, did you did you have did you have staff or people helping you build uh, <clears throat> get together to you know for production? Uh, well, at, at first I, it started it was just uh, a couple of people. In fact, my parents were working for me, mm-hmm. and then it, uh, when it really got busy, I had six people uh, working. Oh wow! Packing all those parts and everything, you know. So. Uh, right. It grew uh, like I said. It was getting too much for me, though. That was it was a lot of pressure, and uh, that was one of the reasons that uh, I had to go direct to the to the consumer, you know, because uh, right. I, I I just couldn't handle anymore. It's uh, all yeah. that people call. I had about I don't know uh, thirty two distributors, I think, and over three hundred dealers, oh and it was just too much for me. And uh, right. that's, that's a lot that's of work. I, yeah, and that's why I, I I had to go direct and cut the runs way down sell them at the list price yeah so well let's let's get away from the business end of things and get into the fun part and so let's start uh, we're going to ask you some questions about you know modeling itself because it, you know that's of course that's a love of it all for all of us and i'm sure that's a love of it for you i know that you're oh, still model it. you're still doing it and yeah. um which is great um now how, how much uh, when you model now Scott, since you're retired um, how, how much a week, how many hours a week do you think you spend modeling on your layout? Well, I get, I get to my shop about nine thirty, uh, and my nine to nine thirty, and I stay there till about one, one thirty or so. And that's all. And, uh, I'm enjoying it more than ever. The love of model building has never left me. My, my layout has brought me a lot of joy, made a lot of friends and, uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's been it's it's a, it's fun now. Before it was all pressure, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it's fun, and I I just love working on my layout. That's 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 great. That's what it's all about, too. I guess that that we get to yeah. love what we do. So you know, when I we, I have some personal somewhat some questions of my own here that um, uh-huh. I want to run by you on on modeling itself. Um, one of the things that we're on our layout, we're doing a similar type era. And a city type scene, um, where what when you decide to choose the placement of where you put your kits or buildings onto the onto the layout itself, um, and especially in a tightly knit city scene, how do you best decide <laughs> what location and angle and aspects you provide the viewer with the structures? Uh, well, first of all, let me say. Uh, I do very little planning. You know, uh, the way I do, I did my layout. I just mapped out on the floor 
taped off and uh, how much area I've got and where the benchwork will go. Mm-hmm. And then, and all the benchwork went up with the with the joist and everything. Uh, and after that, I will just I don't know. It just comes to me as I'm doing it. You, you just know, you look at it. You look at it, and you can see yeah. what you want. What you yeah. want. Yeah, that's that's why I don't recommend my techniques to <laughs> people because I'm afraid I'm afraid they're not going to work for them. Because, uh, what I'll do is first is uh, if it's a city scene, I'll I'll, I'll lay out the streets. And again, I'll just sketch that out roughly on a piece of paper and then take from there, cut out the masonite streets and glue them in place and everything. And and then from there, I'll start putting the buildings in place little by little. I like the smaller buildings. Uh, uh, John Allen got me hooked on that a long time ago. He, I think I read he, he liked small uh, small buildings. Dave Ferrari also told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he liked small buildings. They make the layout seem larger, even though I got some really big, big buildings on the layout also. But... You'll you'll notice there's a lot of smaller buildings on my layout more than the big ones. So, yeah, Brett uh, actually noticed that when we went up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, and that was one of the takeaways he had when he came home. We were driving back to Pennsylvania, and he said, "You know, Dad," he said, "there were some scenes I guess I saw were you know were smaller." But you can explain. Better yeah, I just I, I just found it more captivating to look at the buildings that you would normally look over when you did your first pass. And you go back around and you're like, look at that little tiny, you know, shack or look at this small building that's just wedged in the right spot or even ones that aren't, they're out in the open and they're smaller. They don't need to be colossal. That kind of stuff really drew my eye because it's not things that you're going to spend weeks on a structure. You know, it's, you can do that little structure in a day or two and then build a whole scene around it and spend your time working on the scene. So that just, it was really interesting. Yeah, that's what I usually do is, you know, uh, in fact, these a lot of these structures, uh, I just do them as I go. I don't even know what I'm going to put in certain areas, <laughs> but like I said, I just do them as I go, and uh, not much planning goes into them. So when you do them as you go, and you don't, you know, you're not planning, uh, and you, you start lining them up, let's say along a street, and you, you hit like a, a really unusually odd-shaped area that, it's, that needs something, do you custom cut that or design that building to fit that particular little odd shape? Oh, yes, yes, okay. yes. I, I will, uh, I, the main thing is I cut the, the base, the actual uh, ground space it'll take, and I'll cut a piece of cardboard and see if it, you know, cut it to make sure it fits, and then I'll take it from there, how, how high I want to make the building and how to, where I want the window and door openings and things like that. And I'll just take it, you know, from there, I, I usually try to mix the buildings up like I'll have a clapboard uh, a building with clapboard walls here, and then the next building will be stuccoed and and board and batten. The next building, you know, like oh. that. And it gives it a lot of variety and makes my layout uh, very interesting. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have just about every type of um, uh, type of. Uh, right now, I'm looking at the like I said, the Baxters, uh, for example, and I got clapboard on one building. I got board by board on another, and I got um, it will be. The uh, the office is is what what do they call that the um, board and batten, and yeah. uh, you know so it, 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 you know so you got a little mix of everything on top of that with this diorama that I had for the first time ever I hand laid the track on the top to go into the into the main shed so it was and that's the first time I've ever done that and uh, uh-huh. but but um you, the the kit itself offered a variety of virtually everything you know mm-hmm. which was which was really cool. Um, yes. And so you mix it up, and you choose a different style of of types of 
buildings. When you decide to choose a roof, what 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 goes into the thought process of what is there a favorite type of roof that you like to put on a building or? or? Uh, well, I think the. Sh- uh, you mean that, like a flat roof and a, a yeah, pitched roof? Is that one? Flat roof. You got flat roofs. You got you got the uh, peaked roofs with four different angled sides, like on the like I'm looking at now. And then we have, um, you know, I, I obviously certain types of buildings have certain types of roofs. Um, but I mean, what decides what when you're putting the kit? Do, do you have a particular favorite? Do you like a mansard type roof, or do you like? Flat well, I like roofs? I like I like the flat roof. Uh-huh. But uh, again, I have so many different kinds. Again, I, I like to mix everything up. That mm-hmm. makes it more interesting. Instead of you know, and uh, a flat roof lets you put a lot of detail on the roof. Uh, that's something I saw a long time ago. By the way, uh, I, 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 I was on top of an old building, and there was a flat roof, and there was so much junk up there I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it had that little shed, uh, angled shed at the top where you you could come in uh-huh. and out we, on the we- roof and. Uh, my dad and I noticed that, and when we were when my dad was building uh, Baxter's, he actually had sent me a message and said that, um, you know, you like to put. A, it's obvious that you like to put a lot of detail and stuff on the roof. And you were talking about my dad was talking about the amount of junk that's on the roofs. And when you look through the photos that I that I took when I was at your layout, you're right. There's a lot. You pack a lot of detail on the roofs, and you do like to put junk on roofs. It's really neat. I never really noticed that. Yeah, old lumber. Yeah, sometimes I overdo it. You know, I get a little carried away. But, yeah, uh, but you know, can do it. I think it makes. Yeah, I think it makes the layout in, interesting. And uh, I mean, the the real uh, roof that I saw it was actually a, a tube, and it was like I think three or four four uh, stories high. There was a tire on top, and I, I think you see a lot of my buildings. They get a little tires on the roof, and I said. <laughs> I don't know how that got up there, you know, but yeah, I guess somebody was using somebody was just probably using it as a bed or something, you know. Right. So uh Yeah, I got I got a tire on the roof of the office here, Baxter's. Uh they just put on a couple last two weeks ago and yeah. you know, following your directions and then of course the uh I, I got newspapers and that you've included with the kit. And um I followed your directions and put the news the crumpled up newspapers up there and it looks awesome. I mean that's that's yeah. what build. That's what brings them to life, I believe. You know? Well, yeah, they get they're more interesting. You know, some guys. I've I've been criticized with over detailing a lot of the things, but you know, you just try to follow a prototype exactly, and it's kind of blarish. Yeah. blarish. You know. Yeah. It's not yeah. I mean, you you got. I'm looking through here. You have uh, you have people sitting on your roofs. You have uh, guys working on roofs. There's like some scenes. There's like there's a crowd. Of, there's a few people up top. I don't know if they're gambling on the roof or whatever, but you got scenes yeah. where they're like, you know, there's activity everywhere. And, and I honestly, before you even talked about it tonight, I'm guilty and my dad's guilty of it too before this of not considering the roof a scene in its own. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's what the, that's what the uh, visitors see. You know, mostly it's, it's the roof, uh, you know, the detail on the roof uh, that they see first, I think. You know, that's sure, why there... I, I did that. Because they're looking at that angle, so yeah. I yeah. Mean, so now, now, what, spe- speaking of detail, when you when you put all the details on, I mean, you really, you know, obviously from from the Franklin South Manchester, but you know, we've all seen your details and and the, the you know uh, the photos that come with your kits and the instructions and everything. You know, you can you can see every cram pack, it's every square inch. You got detail, which we love, by the way. Um, I don't think. 
uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything of yours that was over detailed. But when when do you, as a modeler, say to yourself? Because I know you're building a new section to your layout. Mm-hmm. Um, when, as a modeler, do you do you say, "Hey, okay, I I need to stop." <laughs> you know, is there is there never a point where you go, "Hey, what?" And okay, that's enough. Uh, I think you just have to have the eye for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've been blessed with uh with you know what looks right uh, and what looks good and what looks realistic. And I I just think you have to say to yourself, uh, you know, that's enough. And okay. uh, I know some some guys, all like figures, for example, people uh, that you I've seen models of small little tiny industries with about thirty forty figures working <laughs> around it, and that would be ridiculous in real life. You know, something like that you wouldn't sure. see. Like I, I'm doing like maybe one figure here, one or one or two in one one section, but I think you got to have the eye and just to say that's enough. I think that looks good <laughs> enough. You right. Know? That's how I I do it. You know. That was one of the questions I had for you when we were up there to visit you. Is is uh, do you paint all your own figures? And you were like, <laughs> no, I, I do not do that. <laughs> it waits too much time when somebody else makes them for you. So. Yeah, no, I use prizer figures. They're already painted. I yes. just weather them a little bit. Yeah, we Sa- love our prizers. Saves you a ton of time. Now, we went and we went and bought, uh, I don't know how many, it must have been 600 unpainted prizer figures. And so we got about 20 years or so of painting ahead of us. <laughs> Good luck <laughs> unpainting them. <laughs> I tried doing a couple. <laughs> now, uh, your vehicles, uh, when you put a vehicles to scenes, I mean, uh, do you build the, did you build those yourself? I mean... Um, what, what all do you, you know, did you do air, when, did you build any yourself or I'm sure you did, obviously. When I, yeah. When I started the layout back in the eighties, I started building a lot of Jordans mm-hmm. and I, if I remember right, they would take me like five or six hours to build and I right. just gave up on them and I started giving out kits to people, uh, <laughs> and they would build me, build me the Jordan cars. So, uh, that's how I got a, a good accumulation of them. And, uh, uh, this, Guys like uh, Dan Raymond, like Dan. Yeah, Raymond. Dan Raymond. That's right. He's been giving me every time he visits my open house. He's got a nice vehicle for me, so it's great. And I, I just put it right on the layout right then. And he's so, an amazing uh, miler with it. We've had him on the show, and and uh, we will be. With, he will be with us next week too at the at the at the next show. Uh, but he's he's a he's a super guy. He built yes, one. He, he built one at the expo. Uh, we were set up at the table at the expo doing a podcast and then he came over and sat there all day long at our table and built one for the people that were walking by and uh, he he told me he goes this is going to go on george's layout so wow. <laughs> well, that's, it's probably on today now yeah, i'm sure it is um yes. but yeah so so uh yeah jordan's uh, most of your models unfortunately we don't get jordan's are harder and harder to come by and far far more expensive than what they used to be um mm-hmm. but um, now, uh, when you, how, just for, just for fun, uh, we will talk real quick on FS, FNSM. How many vehicles do you think you have on that layout? Oh, goodness. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. A couple of thousand. I really don't know. I'd be guessing if I said, uh, same with the crazy. figures. I have no idea how many are on there, but I know I've been buying them since the, uh, mid eighties. So, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> Now, when you're building a kit or building, and you know, which you still are doing it, which I'm sure you still love building the buildings, um, how how do you prep your walls? I mean, what's your method to prep the walls for a structure before the assembly? 
in, in regards to distressing and painting and weathering, um, that that type of thing. Yeah, kind of uh, run us, kind of do a quick rundown of like how how George would you know starts a new kit or starts a new uh, structure. Uh, well, if it's a if it's a clapboard, a building with clapboard walls, yeah. I would just give it a, a, a scribe walls. I would give it a a prime coat of. Uh, I used to use driftwood, floor driftwood, but that's no longer available. Mm-hmm. So I've been I just been using a lot of those water based colors you buy at any art store. Oh, okay. And I use a, a medium shade of gray. Uh, more, uh, I don't even use it as a stain. I just apply it as it comes out. Huh. And uh, I let it set for a couple of days, and uh, then a, a, uh, let it then apply the final color. Say it's like box car red or something, uh, and then then let that set uh, for a couple of days. Because if you don't let the the paint set, it'll, it may become a little shiny when it's when it dries. Mm-hmm. And then I will, uh, you know, distress the clapboards and you know lift a few clapboards here and there. And then make the nail holes and things like that, and uh, with my pounce wheel, uh, which, by the way, don't apply too much pressure on that, <laughs> that pounce wheel because I found out if when I used to do that, my my nail holes will come out looking horizontal, like horizontal lines. So just do it very lightly. You, you yes. Practice. You can practice that on some scrap wood, and uh, and then the alcohol and stain uh, comes last. Well, because, I know uh, you like to use the alcohol and stain because. In your directions for your kits, I have been putting alcohol and stain. I think you go down to that Walgreens down the street from you, and you must clean them out of <laughs> of alcohol. But, um, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. And that's, uh, by by the way, when I first started, uh, I was using. I think it was my second sawmill. Uh, I was using ammonia in, in ink. Oh my! And uh, the yeah. smell was was terrible, you know. And uh, I just experimented in with the alcohol. Uh, in the ink, and it was just the same results. So yeah. uh, I don't know if I invented that technique or what. If, <laughs> if it was all day before me, I did it. But uh, now the, ammo- the the ammonia was it effective? Did it work? Uh, it worked, yeah. But again, you you can hardly work with it. It was as bad as working with those diacol uh, focal paints. Oh That's my word! Way, you know, you, you start getting a headache. You know. Yeah, those were but, awful. I remember this. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, oh. Yeah. So the finishing thing is is is, uh, is an alcohol wash over the finished uh, wall, and then uh, sometimes very very light dry brushing with uh, antique white or something. Okay. To give it like an oxidized or a faded look, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, and if I'm doing like a stuccoed wall, I would I would use a, a spray can uh, to, to prime it first. Uh, I used to use the, the focal earth in the spray can, but I found out that that uh, Rustolian, uh, what is it? Camouflage, yeah. khaki, khaki paint, almost the same color as, as the earth color. And I give uh, the walls uh, a, a spray coat of that before I apply the, the brush brush on the, the final colors before, right. after that. Yeah. And, and nowadays, with so many, there's so many products out there that are available. Now, if you go, if you're if you're close by a, a store where you can get the craft paints, like a, a Michaels or an AC Moore or something like that. You can you can get just about any shade, and they, they don't cost a lot. They're less than a buck fifty a piece, and yeah. and they they work perfectly fine. The craft paints, but there are so many materials out there, uh, art art materials that are available uh, yeah. to that you could really just go crazy on 
on the Oh, yeah. Yeah, those act colors, I think, are the best things that ever happened to the hobby. I'll tell you, I, 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 I use them almost exclusively now on everything I build. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, and they're they're so paint. easy to mix. They're so easy to turn in the washes. They're, they, I mean, they're yeah. so they're versatile paints. I mean, you can use them for anything. Yeah, yeah, I do. Many times on any layout after placing larger structures, um, there is, there's odd and end spots that you need to fill. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about the smaller structures that you can put in between. But without using a structure, what other things would you recommend detail-wise to fill that small spot instead of using a smaller structure? Oh, gosh, there's probably a thousand things you could do with little, <laughs> little scenes. Uh, I don't know, a junked automobile or something, or right. a pile of old tires or uh, an old fence broken down fence uh, a small little I don't know a shack or something that's falling apart yeah, yeah almost, almost anything can be a, yeah. a a nice little filler yeah True. yeah and, and you have you've found a way to make you know just use about any type of detail uh, to fill in a spot and um, I didn't know if, and like you said before I wrote these questions I did not know that you really didn't have a, a method per se you just kind of did it and it by by your eye and um, yeah. and uh, so uh, yeah that's that's awesome but um I, I know filling in the deeds for us were that spot where you had to you know where the track curves and you had that really odd little angle that you really can't fit a building in there and if you do make one you know special or cut one to fit special it's gonna it's it may not look right so you kind of want to fill it with something else I think we have a yeah. lot of spots like that. And I think a lot of model railroaders run into that. They run into angles and stuff that they they might not necessarily be able to build a really a realistic looking structure to fit that spot. Mm-hmm. So they're you know they're, I think they they get to a point where they they're stuck in their head where where they need to go with it. But um, so yeah, those are great ideas. Yeah. Um. So, Brett, you have any questions here? Yeah, I was going to actually um, just ask how. So this is probably going to be the same way that you did all your other stuff um, and the way you answered us before. But when you're doing a build, what is your usual, like what's a color scheme that you like to stick with with buildings? Now, I know a lot of it can be regional too. Um, We've talked with Doug about this, Doug Fiscali. And he noticed like a lot of wood buildings have a lot of whites and and, uh, earth tones. And every now and then we see a lot of... Uh, we'll see a wild one come out from Doug too with some greens and whatever, but I noticed you do a lot of reds. You seem to have a lot of reds and other colors on your structures. So what's a, what's a, a method that you use to, to kind of like pick colors when you're building a, a structure? Uh, well, first of all, let me say that when, when I was doing my fine scale miniatures, that was one of my biggest problems trying to come up with the right color <laughs> for that, for a particular building. And, uh, whether it be a solid color or, a, you know, mixed colors, uh, but I use a lot of reds because uh, during my era, I think uh, in real life, that's what they had. Paint was very expensive, and they was usually using mostly uh, reds, boxcar reds, uh, and earth colors. Right. So I use a lot of that, and I use a lot of grays. I love gray. Weathered grays is my, my favorite uh, combination. And sometimes I use the two-tone, you know, color the, the trim, a different color from the walls. and. Uh, Whatever you know, you again you got to mix everything up and have some that are solid color back right. then again. 
they they would paint the whole building for example red i remember my duffy's cold yard i think that was i think that was the first one i did all box car red the whole thing windows doors and everything else uh and you know again you got to just mix mix them up and uh yeah see what looked good for you yeah you're right though it's it, it your layouts especially was in a time where they would buy um a paint for their building or their like in real life um, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to buy a, a lot of paint to get your building covered and repaint your building. And that's the color it was. You're not going to have trim different color. You're not going to do your windows different color typically yeah, exactly. because you're just trying to cover it and repaint your building. So whatever yeah, you had, exactly, you had. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I noticed that oh, you, you also have used, uh, that depot buff quite a bit too. Uh, okay. That yellowish. And, you know, I've seen other modelers try and do yellow or a yellowish type building it's not really yellow it's like a faded yellow and um it didn't look it didn't look it didn't come out looking realistic but you you know i see it on your models and such and they were you know it, it just pops it, it's like just the perfect shade um of yellow and it's weathered just enough to where it dulls it down a little bit and, and yellow, yellow is one of those tough things to try and hit um, on a building, and you masterfully have always done that. Yeah, it could either yeah, look I, like a it could either look like a banana color, or it's going to turn out like yeah. a a road sign yellow if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, I used a lot of the buff color, by the way, because the Boston and Maine Railroad, which I grew up around, and, uh, that was their color. It was oh. always a, 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 a buff color, depot buff, and it's usually like a box car red trim. So that's why I have a lot of buildings painted like that on the layout. I was wondering why that was. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yes. Now, now that that's that's kind of almost. I don't think you're really a prototypical guy, <laughs> but um, uh, that's almost a, a sign of a prototype type thought, which is cool. Yeah, incorporating yeah. a little bit of his his local history into that. Yeah. 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 Now I, I have two two prototype buildings on my layout that I copied. Uh, my Jeffrey's Point. Which was copied from the Boston Revere Beach and Lynn Narrow Gauge Railroad and uh, some gas station. I forget the name of that one. <laughs> way in the back there, someplace. But that was that was the only two uh, buildings that were copied from a prototype. Wow. So that's now, a bit of history you too. Have, you have a lot of diners on your on your layout, and one and I also noticed while we were driving around up in Peabody or Peabody, I guess we got to call it Peabody. Peabody. Yes. Either way. <laughs> well, we were driving around. I saw a bunch of diners up there. And yeah. uh, is that? Did you base that on on your lo- local locale or? Uh, I don't know. I j- I just love diners. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think uh, there always seem to have been in real life a diner right next to the railroad tracks for the railroad men. You know, they'd stop on the break and go eat in a diner, and, you know, down by the railroad tracks or something about that, you know. And uh, I just love di- making diners, and I don't know what I've got. I get about eight or nine of them on my layout. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they add a little bit, you know, railroad atmosphere to the whole scene. Oh, Even though I did a kit with one, and it, it was a terrible seller, and I couldn't understand it. It was a beautiful kit, my roadside delights, uh-huh. that had the, di- the diner. In fact, the walls that I use on the ones that are on my layout came from that that kit and uh you know but i guess everybody doesn't feel like the same way i do (laughs) i I love the diners i think they look awesome i thought i thought i saw a lot of them on the layout and they they just really they make 
they are another smaller structure that makes everything pop. And yeah. uh, and, they, and well, they, you can you can you can put beautiful detail inside, and, and mm-hmm. just about every diner on my land is lit up. Right. You know, and uh, you can really detail inside, and you got those big windows you can see right inside, and that's really makes a really very interesting scene. Now, now one of the other things that grabs people, and and this is kind of a, a tip thing I think maybe a, a lot of people would love. One of the coolest things I've seen is signs and structures on buildings. I think they really make the, and define a lot of buildings, and on anybody's layout. But um, you have some of the best signs out there on your buildings, and uh, how how do you find them? You know, what resources did you use to get them? Um, how do you choose? Oh, well, let's, we'll go with that to start. Uh, well, most of my signs were a paper, and they came uh, from uh, what was that? old advertising books. that uh, They became available probably in the late 90s uh, in full color. And I used to buy them every time I went to a bookstore. I would buy uh, any book with old advertising. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they come in various sizes and colors and... Uh, and you can either reduce them or enlarge them. And uh, I just would use the right sign to fit that the amount of space I had on the on the on the building wall. And uh, you know, nowadays you have the computer; you can get on just about any sign you want. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's available to anybody. You know, there's so many out there. So uh, that's that's how I made all my signs. You know, most of them are just paper. Now, were were any of them um, were any of them hand painted? Are there ones that you painted on? Uh, no, I don't Okay, think so, so most no. of them were ones that you'd cut out and sanded down. All, uh, all paper, yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah. Now, um, when you attach them to the wall, do you, do, you sand, do you sand them down in the back when you're using paper like that? Or? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I sand, I usually now I sand only the edges because I tore so many good signs. <laughs> uh, you know, when you sand, always sand away from you. I usually do just do the edges now. Uh and I just sand sand away, and then I, uh, before gluing the sign on, uh, I will weather it with my alcohol and ink, brush vertically, uh, let that dry, and then I'll glue it on with Elmer's full strength glue, not thinned out glue, full strength. I'll, I'll squeeze a puddle right in the middle of the sign and spread it all out with my finger, uh-huh. and you don't huh. wipe your finger because you're going to handle the sign, <laughs> and glue it in place. Let it set for about I don't know three or four or five minutes. And then I use my fingernail or, an, or some kind of a knife or something to go along the bottom of the clapboard or the bl- or a brick mortar line. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then let that dry and keep patting it, keep stay stay with it, you know, and uh, until it's dry. And, and then I will dry brush it with like the brick color. Right. And that's where you got to be very careful because you got to get almost all the paint off your brush. Mm-hmm. Just about, you know, just all you want to do is touch the the raised uh, brick surface of the clapboard or whatever yeah it's and easier to my easier to start with less paint and go in and go back over again versus re- realizing you have too much paint and then you just ruin that sign on the side of the building oh yeah oh. you can ruin it i've, I've done that oh make me want to cry <laughs> uh, well that's when you have a tissue and uh, a wet tissue around and wipe quickly and hopefully most of it comes off right, yeah right and if it doesn't then you have a tissue to cry into yeah right now on those on those big signs you have on the Franklin South Manchester that are that you did um, you you said you enlarge them and put them on that on the walls like 
No, those. I know which ones you're talking about. I just mm-hmm. did that recently. That was a big military sign. I think that came off of calendar. Oh, oh. okay. Yeah, a large calendar I got a long time ago. Yeah, that's with, one that uh, covers an entire backside of a building, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a... Uh, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I, 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 have, I have such a collection of signs. I mean, I had thousands of signs that I collected over the years. And, <laughs> oh, there know, it I is. I think that's where that came from. I think that's the one my dad's talking about. It's, it says something like, uh, hasten the day, buy war bonds, that big, big. Yeah, one. that's the one. That's yeah. the one I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that came out really good. And then I, you notice I always cut windows or doors where it won't uh, cover the sign, you know, yeah. any, like a, a spot where it won't be, you know, you won't be cutting out any wording or anything like that. Strategically. Right. I, do, I, I do that a lot with signs, too. I usually put a vent or a door or a window and cut it right in after oh, the sign wow. dries. Oh, yeah. that's neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, you look at the photos, you'll see that, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's what I do. It makes the sign even more interesting that way. You oh, know, yeah. You put some yeah. Ru- some rust powder going down from the fan over the sign that makes it look even more like it's been there for a while, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, when you when you do some, you have obviously I've seen a lot of goose. You have some ghost signs when you're on your buildings as well. What? How, how do you achieve the ghost sign look? Where where you have like one one painted over top of another, or faded out to where you see mostly brick behind them? How do you get that effect? What sign did you say again? Kind of the, like so. Ghost, they call it ghost signs. Yeah. Oh, ghost signs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, do I have that? I don't know. I'm trying to think where it is now. <laughs> uh, I'd have to look at old uh, some of your photos that we've taken to, uh, to to be able to tell you which one. But how would you achieve a ghost sign? Uh, well, what what exactly is a ghost sign? I'm not so sure. So it's kind of like, like when it? when you have a building, um, an older building, and you, um, I think my, I, I, I know I've seen a few of them on there, kind of like an old faded sign where it's not necessarily a current advertisement, but it's still stuck on the side of the building, and it might have been 30 or 20 years old, um, and since has been dirtied up and gone over, or parts of it are missing, or there's new signs over top of that. Um, it's just kind of layering your signs to show age, you know, what well, I would just probably weather that the ghost sign more, and then if they're going to put something over it, you know, make that a little newer. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, just dry brush it and really make it look old. Right. That's, I'm trying to think of any I have on my layup, but I can't think of any right now. No, you know what my you know what my favorite signs are yours of are, are of yours, George, and they're not really signs. I really like the um, uh, hand painted old graffiti that you have on some of your little scenes. Uh, and I guess I could count as signage, but it's like building character where it's not graffiti like modern day graffiti with this crazy oh, spray paint or spray. Oh, that's a disgrace. I yeah. see that all over the railroads. It's not that kind Real of graffiti, railroads. but I like the graffiti yeah. that you have where it's like little white paint or black paint, just words on the side of a building. Like just yeah. like someone yeah. quickly took a a stick or a brush and just, you know, Brett was here and then they a little graffiti. But, uh. I love that. I love yeah. seeing that tucked in the little yeah, scenes. Yeah, that, that was done with a, I think, with a, a pointed white pencil. I remember that. Huh. And maybe, it maybe even a very tiny brush too, and white paint or whatever color. Yeah. I, and I've seen it in a couple spots on your layout, but it adds it adds a neat little uh, little character to each building that has it or wall yeah, that has it. Usually, a lot of the names I name are usually gangsters from my era. <laughs> you know, like uh, Dutch Schultz and all that, you know, Al Capone. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah make it a little, uh, oh, that's a little cool. humorous, too. 
Yeah. I, I noticed you have some of those little gangster type scenes on your on the layout in different in different places, which is really really cool too. Uh, some yeah. top suit. Well, the ones and... the ones like right when you first walk in is that car all shot up. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but did you notice who's on the roof above that car? No, I got to look. Oh, that's the Batman one, right? Or Superman. Batman, Batman. and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> in H.O. In scale, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did see that. Um, yeah. And one, of the, one of the cool things that, that I've seen you do is, is sidewalks. And, and yeah. you know, that's not something that's so easy to do for a lot of people. Uh, how, what is your method for sidewalks? What do, you, do you pour your own sidewalks? Do you use plaster? Or they um, they use some kind of a uh, well. I'll just let you explain. Uh, well, a lot of my sidewalks are regularly just wooden strips, three thirty seconds wide, or sometimes one eighth inch wide. If I'm going to pour the street, which will build up a little bit and make the sidewalk look look smaller, but it's usually wooden strips. But I I have made my own patterns and uh, molds with uh, brick sidewalks and stone sidewalks, which. Uh, I saw when I was on vacation up in Canada, I saw a beautiful stone sidewalk that I took a picture and I made it. And uh, I, I've made actual masters and molds of them. And I've poured over the years uh, probably dozens of them. And that's what I've been using on, on a lot of my layouts. So I, I've used all kinds of... Uh, either The most common, is, I think, is the wooden strip ones. And then I make the curves separately with, a, a, I think it's a 332nd square piece of wood. Right. And then you scribe in all the joint lines before you put the curb in, and then weather it, and then add the curb fine last, you know. But oh. like I said, it's mostly wood. Mostly, oh, mostly wood. Okay. And then to get that finished, you just paint it, and it's, and it's done, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I will I will paint it and weather it before gluing it in place. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, put the scribe lines in also, and uh, then glue it in place, and then put the... Uh, the curb and last because it would be so it would be so much harder to to put it in place and then paint it especially when you have other structures and scenery there as well maybe and you know it's it's harder i guess what's oh yeah it's it'd be it'd be almost impossible in some some uh, cases you know right right just don't have the room now now you have the sidewalks that go uphill on the one when you first come in the doorway there and there's the sidewalks that go up a steep hill um, and they're they're made of wood as well. Uh, if they if they're stone or brick, they're probably uh, okay. metal castings. Uh, okay, metal castings. Okay. Yeah, because if it's and they're soft metal, they can easily be bent around a round object, bent oh. just a tiny bit. Yeah, and that's I've done that also. Gotcha. And, yeah. the, and the, the roads, the roads you have, they they're you know the concrete. You have a lot of concrete roads. And we, we are in the process of doing concrete roads. What, what's your best tip, tip or technique for creating concrete road? Oh, boy. That's that's as hard as making <laughs> water, water look realistic. Oh, okay, boy. <laughs> I mean, I've used so many materials. I've used a, a joint compound, plaster Paris, uh, what is it, rock putty, uh, Durham's water putty, I mean. Uh, that's what I've been using uh, lately. But the way I do it now, it's... Uh, it's a, it's a strange method. I make it almost water thin, and I'll pour it over the area. And by making it so thin, almost watery, but but not so watery that it won't harden, mm-hmm. it'll smooth out by itself. It just goes over all the areas, you know. And that's that's how I get, I'm able to get fairly 
uh, smooth streets, and then you let it set for a couple of days, and then start sanding or whatever you have to do to smooth it out. Oh wow! And then I, 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 I then that's I, I I'll uh, scribe in the joint lines, and then start painting, weathering it. That's that's the way I do it. But and again, the coloring is very hard to achieve. I, I've I've gone I've gone over streets so many times. That, you know, one particular street I think went over about ten times to get the right shade and right weathering. <laughs> You know, now, it's, it's, do, you use, do you use paints or do you use uh, chalks or a mixture of both or to get that kind uh, of? I'll use both. Uh, first, I'll paint them with again. I'm been using a lot of water-based colors, right. uh, gray and uh, a tan color mix to get that concrete look, that c- concrete shade, right. and uh, let that set because if you apply alcohol and ink over that right away, it'll lift. The paint will lift because it's water-based. Right. Let that set a couple set a couple of days, and then I, I will. Uh, uh, weather with the alcohol and ink, and then I'll use powders, you know, to get the, the the soot marks down the middle of the road or whatever with a brush. But again, the secret is to keep everything very light because it can, everything, it seems when you work with powders, it comes out so heavy and dark. Right. So yeah, I always have a habit of, you know, hitting my brush <laughs> on some scrap before actually applying it on onto the, the street or whatever I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and what's what's cool about what you just said was it's it's something that Doug has stressed in his modeling, and uh, Dave Frary as well. When we had him on, uh, is layering. Uh, you, you're using many different types of layering: you know, the paint and then the chalks and the and of course the uh, the, the alcohol India ink mix, and um, you're getting different layers of, of weathering over top of it to achieve that final result, which is which is really cool. Um, yes. Yes. So uh, now, um, Brett, do you have uh, some questions from the listeners? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I have questions. I could ask questions all day. Um, <laughs> but okay. um, I think we're gonna just switch over to some of our listen, listener questions, George, if you don't mind. Okay. There's, there's only a couple of them, so um, yeah. and a few of them we did hit on earlier when we just through talking. So I'm just gonna say. Oh. I'll just give those guys a quick shout out and then we'll move on to the next question. Okay. So we're going to start with Dan Banks. He was asking what your inspiration was when you started out for doing all so many models. And obviously we talked about that right, pretty much from the get go. So, um, you answered Dan's question right away. Uh, and Dan Pugach, he, this is going to be a fun one. And I always like asking our other guests this too, that we all learn from our mistakes. What is a really like a funny, memorable modeling blunder that you have that just comes to the top of mind? Um, and then, you know, what maybe that you did to overcome it or learn from it? I can't think of any. Uh, <laughs> He's perfect. A blunder. <laughs> uh, just something you know, like we we were talking the one episode, like uh, my dad and I will sometimes, you know, I'll have like a weight we use hockey pucks for weights to hold things down while they're dr- dr- drying and uh, every now and then i'll knock one over and then oh, i'll break a wall that i was just spent three hours working on and uh just things like that i mean we all do it um but uh it's you know uh, i'm sorry Brett. no it's it's it fine any. it's great it's it's fine <laughs> I, i'm not saying i'm perfect that's for sure i probably have a whole bunch of them but i just can't think of it no right it's fine that's all right um, I think we've all ended up with something that we ended up. We try to either, block those memories out. Yeah, we try to block, block them out. Spills and everything <laughs> okay. else. Sure. 
So oh, I'm always spilling stuff. If you if you come to my shop and look at my floor, <laughs> it's a nice tile floor, but there's all kinds of ink spots and everything on the floor, all kinds of spills. You get, so I guess you get, I do have a bunch. Everyone gets clumsy. Think, uh, every modeler has that. Every modeler has something that they've been discussing with while they're building, and they've decided <laughs> they just chucked it into the trash can. I know I've done that. I know we talked. Tear it apart again. Yeah. I, I can think of one right now. I don't know if you want to call it a blunder. Okay. I just finished my beautiful new town of Gory, named after John Allen's uh, layout, Gory, and I made the Don roof so low, it's about eye level, the, you know, the, the canopy over it. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and it's, it's about almost a foot and a half lower than the other part, and I wish I had made it the same height, but I didn't, and I don't know why, and I can't correct it. <laughs> So I don't know if you oh, call that a blunder, but uh, you know you'll probably see it in the photos. Yeah, on Dave's Facebook. Uh, but that's—I guess that's a blunder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we yeah. we all have it, and uh, I think yeah. it. I, mean, I think it, we've all done that. I think it just so, comes from work. Definitely. You get so engrossed into what you're doing, and you don't realize what you did until you're done, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, what did I do? Uh, and especially when you can't correct it. That's the problem. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not as hard. It's not like you can just tear that out and redo that. But, yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you one just for fun. We, uh, I think George will appreciate it because it's his kit. This Baxter's I'm working on. I had a, a yardstick as a metal yardstick. It was hanging on a nail above the bench here where <laughs> I had the thing building. And I had just done all that intricate work on the track work that goes into the barn uh, or into the uh, the main shed, and uh, which is all really, really intricate the woodwork that you had done with the fence and everything. And I was all happy. This thing fell off the nail when I bumped it and it landed on the, on the model. Luckily I have lots of extra strip wood, but it smashed some of the rails. Ah, oh, and I, oh, I would, oh, oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was all, and I, and luckily I, you know, and, and I think, uh, the good Lord was on my side when it fell to the other, the opposite direction where there was no building and did not hit the buildings. Oh, and, dear. um, yeah. And it was, just, it was, and it was just one of those things where you're like, I spent the next day and a half trying to fix and I got it fixed and you can't ever tell, but, um, yeah. you know, it, it set you back a moments. day. Yeah. It was one of those moments where you're like, Oh man, how can I be so clumsy? And, yeah. you know, we, we, and it happens. So that's what, when that happens, uh, Todd, sometimes I will just uh, just put everything away and go home. I've done that many times. I got so frustrated with something that didn't come out good. I just says, I'll just tackle it tomorrow. And the next morning I come in and it it just works out. So that's a that's a tip. <laughs> that's nice. a great tip. Sometimes we talk about sometimes that you just got to walk away. Sometimes yeah, just, just walk just away from it, tackle it the next day. <laughs> yep, yep. There's always yeah. There's you can always go back, but. Uh, all right. right. You got more questions? I do. We only have a couple. Um, uh, Mind Mount Models is asking, are there any parts of the original 4x8 Franklin South Manchester that can still be seen on the current layout? Uh, no. No? no just, I, I, I saved the buildings. Uh, right. But no, there's no I know that flower, there's no the sections. flour mill has been moved all over the place. But uh, no, that's that's about the only thing. It's No, it was it was gone. Completely gone. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm glad it did. That had, but that had a four percent grade. And nothing would ever run up that, you know. <laughs> no, no, it would have been struggling. Maybe yeah, if it wasn't so. pulling any cars, it could get up there by itself. But 
That's still pretty steep. I still have the the burnt down engine house that was on that. That's in the back room. I was going to use that in the layout, but I just couldn't find a spot for it. And uh, some of the other buildings are also saved. And uh, but other scene, all the scenery is gone. That was all destroyed. Oh wow. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. we got a West Coast modeler. Uh, he just started doing. Um, actually, just did a reproduction kit of a, a Disney. What was that? The Carrollwood Barn, Dad. Carrollwood Carol Wood Barn. It was yeah. Walt Disney's barn. So he's uh, making kits out west. He's a and new he, kit manufacturer. Yeah. But yeah. he's on here, and he just asked. Uh, he saw or heard that you were using a microscope. This is Jake Johnson, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. You're using a microscope, or you were using a microscope to make your master patterns for your detail parts. Uh, it would be yeah. great if you could elaborate on kind of how you did that with a microscope, or how you got such small detail into some of those master parts. Uh, well, first of all, my stereo microscope has been given to Hal Reynolds as a gift. Oh, okay. Hal's a good friend. Yeah. So he has my microscope now. But yeah, but I used to work under that microscope. Uh, I remember once on my HO uh, handsaw, I spent, I think, all day with tiny, tiny files making uh, all the little notches on the cutting edge. Wow. And uh, it was a seven power, seven whatever. I don't know how you say that. Seven power, I guess. Makes it seven times larger. Yeah. So that little tiny uh, thing was, and that was the master. And from that one master, I would make a hundred or whatever I needed. Right. And your masters were brass? They were or? brass. They were metal, uh, a lead. Okay. Uh, uh, what else? I don't know. Whatever I had. Aluminum. Oh, wow. So you just uh, used whatever you could get your hands whatever on. Whatever I had available, yeah. But yeah. it had to be some kind of a, that could withstand the heat because they were uh, they were vulcanized under, I think, 350 uh, pressure. Oh, wow. 350 degrees pressure. So that was, that was, if they were made out of wood or anything, they would just disintegrate. Oh, yeah, it'd ignite. Yeah. So uh, they had to be some kind of a metal cool. on that surface. Well, that's neat. That's something sounds extremely tedious. That sounds worse than painting yeah. people. Not just kidding. Oh, <laughs> that's why I'm so thankful. Yeah, I hate to say this. As much as I enjoyed my fine scale miniature kits, it's it's a relief to be yeah retired now and enjoying the layout. Well, I mean, having a wonderful, yeah. wonderful time. Yeah, now you just get right. to do it for you, and it doesn't matter. Just, it's, it's your thing yeah. now. So yeah, love, love it more than ever. Um, that's awesome. So uh, next question. We only have two more. Uh, Brian Thompson, who was actually up for the summer visit when we were up there, um, he said, and we noticed this too, and if you're not, if you don't want to say it, or we're fine with uh, you not divulging this, but um, he said, I saw a paper mock-up or cardboard mock-up of a structure you had during a summer open house, and you said it was going to be your next kit before you retired. Uh, obviously, uh, you are retired. He was yeah. asking if you could talk about that or if you didn't want to talk about that at all uh, it you know so what was what was uh, that i it's still there by the way okay <laughs> it's still in the back room it was going to be a kit i was thinking of something but uh i just didn't like it and uh wasn't working for you yeah it wasn't working i wasn't that appealing but it was nice i mean i could I, someday i might even make a wooden model of it uh for yourself but yeah. i what it, what happens is i built uh uh the, my last kit, the I Am Done. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really going to be not even a kit. But I showed the uh, the, uh, the diorama uh, at one of my open houses. And everybody was saying, you got to do a kit of that. you got to do a kit of that. 
so I did, and that was that was my they, I am done kit. They peer pressured you into doing the I am done. Yeah, that, it actually was because I was actually retired then. Okay. And I, I, I says one more. Uh, that was it. <laughs> and what a better name! The funny that, thing is, no, excuse me. I was going to say the funny thing is that kit ended at the very last section, the very edge of my layout. In other words, that was it. <laughs> it's done. Love it. And what a better name yeah. for it, you know? It's the perfect name. It's everything. Yes. So. D-U-N-N, by the way. Right, not right. D-O-N-E. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think we saw... Did we see that up when we were up there, Dan? I think... Yes. Pretty sure we saw that. Yeah, it was at the end on there. On one side, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that... So, okay, well... I, I'm sure you've made plenty of those paper or cardboard type buildings where they just weren't working for you once you got them done. So yeah. it's probably one of many. But uh, uh, last one here, and this is from Dazzy J. He's from Australia. Uh, he's uh-huh. one of our listeners on the opposite end of the world here, opposite side. He's saying, what scratch building advice would you have for uh, a beginner, someone who just wants to start scratch building? Uh, maybe they're transitioning from... The they they made the transition from plastic kits to craftsman kits, but now they want to take this step from craftsman kits to um, maybe doing a scratch build. And what would you tell someone who kind of would just wanted to get their feet wet with scratch building? Okay. Well, first of all, let me get back when I said when I started uh, with my American Flyer. Yeah. My buildings were cardboard boxes. I mean, cigar boxes. I used to cover them with white paper and draw with the windows and doors. Oh on. wow. <laughs> yeah, and uh, until I saw the article in RMC. But I would suggest is get one of the simple uh, Campbell kits, probably. Okay. One of the easy little sheds there and uh, work on that. And just uh, Customize it know, from there. Yeah, yeah. keep keep at it and, and then graduate to something uh, more intricate and, uh, you know, and get, get all a bunch of details. And that's what really makes the, like you said yourself, uh, makes the model come alive. Right. When you start detailing it and weathering it and all that, and right? Yeah, start with something simple and then work up. And when you've got enough courage, there's plenty of craftsman kits. I know there's a lot of my kits out there that are available, and others probably too. Right. So that's my my suggestion. Yeah, and then you can even. Uh, what's even more amazing about it is, once you get better and better at it, it you can just buy a couple kits and smash them together and make something crazy. And yeah, there's no rules. Oh, yeah. There's no rules, oh, and that's what's yeah. makes it even more exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, cause a lot of guys used to build my kits, and I like when they didn't build them as they were. You know, they they just changed them around, just like I do in my own layout, my own kits, and I'll I'll change them around, or change the structures around, the little sheds in different places, and omit one if I if I don't have the room for it, or you know, fit it in another angle or whatever. You know, whatever uh, is different. Right. That's great. Yeah, that's all. That's awesome. Uh, we've heard that from so we've had a lot of kit manufacturers on here. And um, they've all said that in some way or form that they love seeing that the modelers that buy their stuff would change it up and get creative with their with their kits. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who wants yeah, to see? Great. Who wants to see? You know, the same a thing, thousand of the same kit. Yeah. You want to sure. see what people can do? What the art? It's an art. See what you can yeah, do with it. Yeah. Speaking of art, did you? Uh, <laughs> Did you have a art background before you got into the model rain at all, or during that? Oh, you... I was a flunky in school. <laughs> I, uh, I, if you want to see something funny, I went to drafting school. Okay. Uh, what was it? In, in Boston, 
And I, I just about flunked out. I hated drafting. <laughs> and as far as I know, I was the only one doing, well, for my kids, all the drafting. Uh-huh. The only one that did drafting the rest of my life, you know. <laughs> That's well, funny. If as teachers could see what you have built, what you have done, and what you have designed as a result of drafting, yeah. uh, you, would, you would have an A-plus for sure. Yeah, I used to go to Fenway <laughs> Park every afternoon. I, I'd skip school and go to the ball game. Watch the Red Sox, and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't make it in drafting there, but I made it the rest of my life, I guess. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. I was going to ask that question, too, if you had an arch- architectural background or anything, and obviously you just answered that. Um, Brett, do you have another question? Or we no, that actually wrap ups, wraps up our um, our listener have, patron questions, so if you have, have any other wrap-up questions. Yeah. Okay. You are the... Master in many people's eyes of a lot of things, but one of the things you do, and we talked about it earlier, is your castings. And you have so many different castings, and they're all amazing. But your model and your layout is just, you know, filled with castings. Mm-hmm. What is a, just for basic casting, what is a good casting procedure with painting and weathering the castings that you'd like to go by? Just, let's say I want to do, like, I have a handful here, and I want to, um, I want to quickly weather, paint them and weather them, and you know, to, you know, obviously you have a ton of them. There's, it took you a lot of time to, to do it. How There's do you a few do, castings you, on his layout. Yeah, right. How did you do that many? And is there a surefire quicker way to do it and make them still look really nice? Uh, this is how I do it. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I used to use. I, you have to prime them first. I used to use, again, the Floquil Earth from the spray can. I lay out a whole bunch, I don't know, about 10, 20 or so on a newspaper. And I prime them with Floquil Earth, but now I am using, or used to use, or am still using, uh, the, that uh, camouflage, Rustoleum camouflage khaki paint. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. And uh, I let that prime coat uh, set overnight or maybe two days. And then I've been using nothing but uh, those water-based colors to touch up all the details because you've seen a lot of my castings a lot of the details are cast on mm-hmm. cast in place like on a workbench the tools are cast in place and I use uh, you know I just have several bottles in front of me and I, I what I do is I shake the, uh, the paint and use what's on the cap Not I don't dip my brush so I won't get too much paint on the brush and I actually sometimes even use a sharp object uh to, to touch up with tiny details like, uh, I don't know, door hinges and uh, things like that, tools. Right. And then um, I'll let that set, let that paint set for uh, overnight, and then I'll, I'll go over everything with the alcohol and ink, mm-hmm. let that dry, and then I just dry brush them again very carefully with, with antique white, mm-hmm. and that's, how, that's, that's basically how I do it, and they just oh. come out beautiful. Now, when and you use... dry, the dry brushing, excuse me, the dry brushing carries covers a lot of flaws too. Because sometimes you're not painted, and it's not painted that good. You know, you, your brush or whatever you use, you know, the paint might flow a little bit onto some other part. But right. the, the right. dry brushing sort of covers everything up. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And now, when you use the alcohol in the in the ink, the alcohol wash onto it, um, do you uh, do you brush that on, or you? I know some people that actually pick them up and, with a pair of tweezers and dunk them into it? Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you do I do that, too, by the way. I, I dunk <laughs> them, too, because it's quicker. 
Right. You know, I'll grab a door with tweezers and just dunk it in the jar of alcohol and ink, and uh, it's, it's, usually it's 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 they're brushed on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can okay. do both. You just lay them out on on a newspaper or whatever, and just do it that way. Right. And you let them dry overnight when they, when you originally paint them, because yeah. now when you paint when you paint castings, do you use duller earth tones, or do you, is there a particular color that you avoid or stay away from? Uh, no, I, I, uh, well, it depends, you know, uh, yes, you've got to use a little common sense there, you, whatever, yeah. in real life, what would that object be, like a hat or something that's cast right. on, what color would you use, you know, okay. or brown or whatever, Right. so it depends on what type of casting, if it's an old rusted object, you just, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you can use, and I use rust powders too, by the way, on, on these, uh, anything representing, uh, old rusted metal. Okay. Junked object or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, now, um, you know, what, what the reason I asked that was there's some modelers out there or some uh, uh, you know modelers that have written uh, pieces on on how to paint these things uh, have said that you know they don't use like they they avoid reds or they avoid bright colors like blues and yellows and, and those types of things. I know I don't. And I, I think I, I I do use less of them. I just don't use them. I I still use them because I think our I think the world still has reds and blues and yellows and things like that in them. Yeah, you know. So I, I don't think you can you can just cut them out. No, you know? no. You can use any colors you want because the weathering takes care of it and it tones right. everything down. Yes. Like like for example, uh, blue. Blue would be a strange color on buildings, but I have a couple on my layout, but they've been heavily weathered. Yes. You know, so you can really use any colors you want, yeah. uh, like the alcohol and ink and the dry brushing sort of blends everything in. Yeah. And, you know, you don't even notice the uh, the bright colors, you know. Yeah. Because everything's toned down. Right. Uh, right. Well, I, Brett, do you have any more questions? Well, like you, I said earlier, I could, I could ask questions all day. Every day, but uh, but we told George, we told George we'd have this, yeah. we'd do this over an hour. Yeah, that's and fine. We're going over that. We've covered but, quite we a bit. Appreciate that. I do have one last George, question, George. Do, I have yeah, one right. last one, and then I'll yeah. I'll be done for the night. <laughs> um, I noticed around okay. some of your areas where you have water, like where there's a drainage area or whatever, you'll have like just a pile of sticks or some old old trees without leaves on them, and is that truly just old sticks? Because it looks like old sticks, and are, do you do you use materials like that as well as as well as real like modeling trees? Oh yeah, I use. You mean real twigs? Yeah, stuff like, you, like that? you go out and you find little twigs. Oh, that I use look a lot perfect. of that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I used a lot of that in my new uh, town of Gory, uh, behind the, the the paper building. Okay, you see a lot of twigs sticking up, and uh, those are all real pieces that I, you know, I've been saving for years in the back room, and I use them all the time. Okay, and uh, that's how I think my it, scenery looks a little a little more yeah detailed. I, it looks like I mean, what looks more like wood than wood? It's it's the same old thing. So I and I I just noticed you have trees, which I'm sure you have all varieties of yeah. types of model trunk bases. But I also just wanted to ask if you did that, which because it it looked like it. So I. Just something that always caught my eye when we were up there. So that was it. That was my last my question. Real, my, my, <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was going to say my real trees are made with sagebrush. By the way, we yeah we do have uh, some of that here to work with. Yeah, that's that's I think that's the most realistic tree. And then for the the branches, I I have this black material. I think it was Accurail uh, sent me a whole box of black fiber. 
uh, listen, this is years ago, and I've been using that and wrapping that very thinly on the on the twig, you know, the sagebrush twig, and, and then I, I would spray it with glue or uh, hairspray and then sprinkle on coarse turf. And boy, I think my trees are, you know, I can make one in a few minutes, and I think they're some of the most realistic trees. Right. Uh, out there, you know, and then I got the tall pine trees that I made with uh, balsa wood dowels, uh, you know, scraping them with a file, yeah, and rounding them off, and then using the, you know, the, uh, the what do you call it, caspia inserted yeah, beautiful. in that. And, uh, so I've got many different kinds of trees on the layout. And the caspia you can get at any floral shop; they all have a, a yeah. caspia you can buy, sure. That's yeah, John crazy. Allen, I think, made that famous, and then Jack worked at an article in Model Railroad on those beautiful pine trees, and they really add a lot to a, especially a logging scene. Mm-hmm. You know, they're beautiful. They're hard to make; they take a long time, but they're worth it. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're just they're gorgeous. Yeah, definitely are. Yes. Well, sir. Awesome. Well, that that wraps up my night actually here. So, <laughs> I, George, we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, thanks for the hour here. And hopefully our listeners enjoy it as well. You guys, you gave us a bunch of tips. It's, it's always new stuff when we talk to people. So uh, I know I learned some stuff tonight we, too. We truly appreciate. Yeah, we truly appreciate your time. And I know that um, you're. You, I, I hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Um, and maybe sometime in the future down the road we can have you on again as a guest. I'm sure there's lots of questions that we could talk about. Get, maybe we can uh, get an and, update on your new section and as you work on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you can see pictures on on Dave's. Uh, how do you say his last name? Uh, Dave Freire uh, or Cruzwick? Cruzwick, yeah, yeah, on his Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole ton of pictures of uh, I think the new new area. So nice. Well, we will be there. we will be with him next weekend too. So we'll having dinner with him, and we will uh, definitely like he, uh, we'll have to update we'll us. Ask him to see if he can share some of that all with us. So. Okay, say have a day for me. Awesome. I will definitely do that, and um, we will definitely be in touch. And like I said, we'll hopefully we'll be. Able to have you on again someday. Okay, thank you guys, very thank much. You. Uh-huh. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.